What's up, everybody? Nate Lurie back with more of We're the Inspiration. With some dark humor and brutal honesty, we're exploring the absurdity and the normalcy of living with disabilities. Stories are told on this show. Everyone's is different. One by one, we're telling as many as we can while bringing you the most entertaining podcast about disabilities you'll ever hear. Every week, I've been able to put a new episode out, and I think they're all pretty good, but... Something I really haven't done to the fullest yet is promote the show. And to start doing that, I joined some Facebook groups that let you do that. And in explaining what my show was, a lady said to me, Hey, that's cool. My son has a rare disability. We're going to get into that. But first, Nikki Guthrie, thank you for being the inspiration for this week's show. Thank you so much for allowing me to be on your show. I can't wait to discuss this this evening. It's going to be so much fun. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing very well. I've been really excited about tonight's episode. I've been, you know, when you have a special needs son, the one thing you want to do is talk about it, be their advocate, get it out there. And that's what I want to do with you. Well, you know, that's fair enough. And we should point out just because it's kind of a fun little fact that we had planned to do this a couple of weeks ago. And we did. And then you had some trouble with your car, had to get a new one. And then I lost internet access for about almost a week. We're like couple... everything was stopping us from doing this show. What was happening? I don't know. I thought maybe we'd never do it, but we're doing it right now. Yes, we finally <laughs> got here. <laughs> couple weeks behind, but it's all good. Your son has something with a couple different names. And basically, yes. he has an extra Y chromosome. And this is something I didn't think I'd ever heard of before, but I think I have sort of heard of the dramatized version of it, which we'll get into later. But why don't you speak on the reality of what your son has? Well, my son has what they used to call Jacob syndrome. And that name is not really liked anymore. And we'll kind of get into that in a second. But technically, he just has a chromosome addition. So everyone's born, if you're a male, you have an X, and a Y, if you're a female, you have an XX. So in certain boys, one in a thousand boys are born with an extra male chromosome, so he has XYY, so he has two male chromosomes. So it's something very interesting. You said we'd get into it later. Why don't we get into it now? Why did, okay. they, why did they call it Jacob Syndrome? Well, initially they called it Jacob Syndrome because... There was a lot of chaos going on in the 60s and 70s about men with XYY and being violent. And this woman, Patricia Jacob, she did a study of inmates in prison. And she noticed that one in 28 of these men were XYY. And she suggested that every male with XYY has a condition that could be linked to increased violence or antisocial behavior. So when you're an advocate or a son, that has this extra male chromosome and you call it Jacob syndrome, it's really insulting to us because this study was done many years ago and it wasn't correct. Taller than average height, acne, increased chance of learning right. problems. As I was researching it, these are the symptoms that are kind of commonly accepted now. But as you said, they used to think it was a cause for like aggression. Aggression. Or, Yes, aggression violent. or violent behavior, stuff like that. We've talked about this even before tonight, but this is something that 
I heard about because that's what the dramatized version has become and not the true crime shows, shows like CSI, NCIS, where, you know, people are committing crimes and like a lot of these are blamed on TV on the extra Y chromosome. Yes. And I dislike that so much because people automatically assume if you have an extra male chromosome, you have a really increased level of testosterone, which is going to cause an elevation and just being a terrible person, you're so violent. And the media puts this out there because that was really how people felt. Back in the 60s and 70s, when XYY was really found, they automatically went to prisons and they went to things like mental institutions and they did a study on these men and they found that some of them were XYY. But I had a real issue with it because if you're going to a prison or a mental institution trying to find this particular chromosome, these men are automatically in there for acts of crimes or mental illness. They're going to show these signs that you're looking for, this aggressive behavior, this violence. And so I think the media really wants to just grab onto it because it wasn't until actually just like in the 80s and 90s, mostly the 90s that we found that this stuff is not true. These men are not violent at all but it's a good concept for a tv show right but like you said it was discovered in i think you said the 60s and i think that's what i read 1965 1965 that's what i read as well the 60s we're like decades later right so right so why are they still attaching onto the stigma of violence exactly why do you think these shows are still doing it and why do you think people are still buying into it I really think that it's easy to buy into because I actually just found this myself, which I think is interesting because I'm really into true crime. But in 1966, this man called Richard Speck, he actually raped, tortured, and murdered eight nurses in a Chicago hospital. And he blamed it on this super male XYY syndrome. And it turns out that Richard Speck lied. He did not have it, but it became this huge witch hunt where, oh, the super male is dangerous. And so we're going to go through these mental institutions we're going to go through these prisons and it was a big thing actually in the 80s 70s into the early 80s women were actually aborting their children if they found that their boys had this extra chromosome it was that scary at the time we don't hear about it now but it was in the media as this super male that's going to come in and just ravage everything it was terrifying to them and in our generation we haven't heard this but back then it was well known that this is a scary thing and it doesn't have to be when you think of one in a thousand life births are xyy a big percentage of these men don't even know that they have this chromosome so you have a majority of men out here living a normal life running around and don't even realize they have an extra chromosome so why is it such a big deal and i think the media they go off of all this stuff like oh back in the day this was a big deal let's bring it back up but they don't really go into the aspect that it's not true it's not true there's been plenty of studies when i first heard that my son was xyy we went to a genetic counselor and we immediately thought he had autism because he showed he's on the autistic spectrum and he showed a lot of those type of symptoms and she sent me down and she said look he is xyy you are going to go home And you are going to research all of this stuff stating that these boys are dangerous and they're not. Don't believe it. I mean, for her to sit me down and the first thing she said was not to believe these studies that were done back in the day, that's terrible. So I knew right away there was going to be a stigma attached to this chromosome syndrome. You mentioned that 
your son, before he was diagnosed, he was on the autism spectrum. So walk me through the difference between XYY and autism. Just like autism, XYY is a spectrum. And like with autism, if you meet so many levels on the spectrum, you're considered autistic. Now with XYY, some boys are not necessarily on the autism spectrum, but you have a chance of having learning disabilities. So some of these boys are men, they don't know that they even have XYY. And then other ones are on this other end of the spectrum where they have these motor function issues. They have speech issues. Speech is a huge part of XYY. So that's one reason why some people know that they've even gotten it because speech can be severely delayed. My son didn't say his first word until he was five. And it's crazy because the only reason we even knew he had the XYY was from the autism. But since they're both spectrums, you don't know that you have this unless you have a genetic test done. And they always recommend genetic testing when you're on the autism spectrum to see if you have something that may say, oh, this is why they have it. And in my son's case, we were actually lucky because we found he was on the autism spectrum because he has this extra chromosome. A lot of the times there's no reason that you even know why your child is autistic. Mine is autistic because he's got this extra chromosome. So it's all up to genetic testing. So he has both. He does. He has both. But the only reason why he is on the spectrum is because he has the XYY. It's confusing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is. It is quite confusing. I mean, would you the be... The extra chromosome, I mean, it's quite normal for boys with XYY to have severe speech articulation issues and this kind of thing. And since everything is a giant spectrum and it's all motor issues, speech issues, this kind of issue, behavioral issues, they all kind of run together. So mm-hmm. they're saying, oh, he has all these issues. He's automatically on the autism spectrum. But he's XYY. So his main diagnosis is XYY because the XYY put him on the spectrum for autism. He was diagnosed with autism because he has XYY. Does it work the other way too? Do you know? Not necessarily. I mean, kids that are autistic don't necessarily have genetic malformations from their genetic counseling. Right. But... Not every male that has XYY is on the autism spectrum because some males with XYY don't even know they have it because you can live a normal life and not even know. Usually what happens is men, the majority of the time, you're not going to have a major problem with the XYY until you get married, you try to have children and you find there's an issue with your sperm. And then when you go to check your sperm, they're like, we need to check your genetic makeup. And then they find the extra chromosome. So a lot of these men are adults before they even know that they have it. Obviously, that can't be checked before a certain age, but. There is a way like in utero. Yeah. Amniocentesis. Yes, they can check the chromosomes and amniocentesis. There's a lot of families that I know who are this woman's pregnant and she knows that her son is going to be XYY and they want to know what to do because they're panicking. But unfortunately, there's not a lot of stuff you can do. You can say, oh, well, you may have problems from it. You may not. And they just go into a panic because you see all of the major sides. And when I'm talking to them, I have to show them Eric, which is my son, because he's on the harsher side of the XYY chromosome. And I'm like, it's not always like this. And I tell him, this is not necessarily your future. This was just ours. 
So there's no reason to panic if your child may be X, Y, Y. They may not even show any symptoms, but they are going to be taller. That's the only thing. You're definitely going to have a very tall child that's going to outgrow <laughs> you by the time they're like 10 years old. <laughs> Does that make it a glandular thing in a way? I'm actually not sure. It's something to do with the extra male hormone that just makes them giants. And they've already told me my son will be around six, seven. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm only five, seven. He's already about up to my chin and he's only eight. Oh, man. So I really worry about finding clothes and things like that for him when he's an adult, because he's going to be a giant. So you said that Eric, that's your son, is on the harsher side of the spectrum. Yes. What does that mean? That means that he's going to have trouble speaking. He has trouble with his core for motor functions. Actually, you know, he's being eight years old. He just now graduated from physical therapy after years and years. He's been in therapy since he was two for speech, for occupational therapy, for physical therapy. And so to actually graduate from a therapy at eight years old was a big deal for all of us because that's saying that physically he can maneuver the world just like us. He was never to the point to where he was almost wheelchair bound. But if he did anything for a long period of time, like walking or swimming, his feet would just give out. Like he didn't know how to stop, but his motor was so weak that he would just almost fall over and we had to stop him. But now he's really caught up. I'm such a big advocate of early intervention. Things like this are something that you need to get when they're very young. If you can get them in therapy when they're very young for speech, for occupational therapy, which is like fine motor, for physical therapy to help that core out, they're going to be okay. And that's the best thing about it. I mean, even though he has to have all these therapies and he's on the harsher side of it, it's my life. It's all I know. He's my only child. And so I feel like this is my normal. But to someone else who's just starting out having kids who's not used to it, that can be very scary. You said something that hit home with me because I'm in a wheelchair myself. And I know a lot of people uh -huh. that they have the same kind of disability I do, which is spina bifida. But they would only right. need wheelchairs if they were going to like traverse a long distance, basically. Right. And that's kind of what you're saying with your son is that obviously he has a different issue, but if he exerts himself too much, his body just gives out. But obviously it's for a different reason. Is that just all because his brain doesn't let his body do certain things or? Pretty much. I mean, it's so confusing because you think, a boy that has this super male, you know, should be strong. You know, you expect him to be. He's like, going to be really tall. He should be strong too, right? Yeah, but it affects them backwards. It makes their muscles weaker, not stronger. And I don't know if it's an elevation of that. It's too much. But you're right. His body would just give out and he wouldn't stop. He doesn't know when to sit down. And then we'd have to physically tell him, sit down. Your feet are giving out. And it's such an interesting thing. I'm really not sure why it causes such weak muscle and motor issues. Is that the kind of thing that he's been learning in physical therapy? Oh, yes. Anything to really strengthen that mid-core, because that's really what holds you up. And so if he can strengthen that core, he's strong enough 
where his body won't give out. And he just now hit that point. Good for him. It's so exciting. (laughs) (laughs) It is. I know that sounds funny, but. No, no, I get it. (laughs) When you put your child in therapy, the whole point is to eventually get them out of therapy. And a lot of parents get really mad. Because they feel like they're not ready to leave. And I'm like, that's the whole point of therapy is to get them prepared for life later. They're not meant to be in therapy forever. Let's get them to graduate from therapy so they can live. And just for him to graduate from physical therapy, it was an amazing moment in my life. I was so proud. Now, you said he didn't really say his first word till he was five. There's a real stigma on what you consider legit speech. And now anyone that's had a child that could not speak knows that sounds are speech. Even though it's not a word, if you can just make a sound, that is a part of speech. And so he could basically kind of whine and try so hard, but he really didn't say his first even sentence until he was almost seven. And even now it makes me laugh so much because I'm Southern. I mean, can you tell from my voice? I'm from the South. We're in Tennessee. And my son, (laughs) he was taught the proper way to speak through his therapy. So he speaks like a British accent. And I'm like, we're from Tennessee. What's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) So funny. Sounds like Stewie sometimes. We had a lot of issues with that because when you hit around that age of two, when you really kind of get words going, and you don't speak, and then they get three, four, the frustration is incredible. And then you get these kind of what we call autism meltdowns, and you don't realize why, but when you can't speak and you're trapped in your own head, of course you're going to get upset. And when he was finally able to speak, it was probably the most amazing moment I've ever been through. And I remember we were doing a puzzle, and we were just doing the puzzle together because he's real big on puzzles and games and stuff like that and he started saying the names of characters just out of the blue and i'm like what just happened you're talking it was so cool does he speak regularly now he has issues he can say two and three word sentences and with me he speaks pretty normally where i can understand it but I'm his mother. So for speech therapy, they really want him to be able to put sentences together for strangers to understand. But there's still an issue sometimes where he'll be speaking to me and I'm like, okay, I got it. And then he'll be like, blah, blah, blah. It just comes out and rambles. His brain goes too fast to get to his mouth. And it's just like, I'm like, slow down. Let's try again. Tell me what you're trying to say. And he'll get it out. But sometimes that brain just goes way too fast and he can't get that speech out. Before we started recording, you had mentioned that he's homeschooled now. He is, yes. He was in public school from pre-K, kindergarten, first grade. And he was okay up until about first grade. And then he really started following behind. And I would call IEP meetings and over and over. I'm like, there's something not clicking here. Something has got to change. And I actually worked at his school and this was right before COVID hit. I would see him and he would just be sitting by himself and not speaking to anyone and not really participating. And I couldn't stand it. When school was called off and we were doing Zoom meetings for class, I noticed he couldn't do it. He just would not sit through it. He did not like it. So I started homeschooling him. 
And when school went back, I didn't send him back. I actually was like, no, I'm going to stay at home and I'm going to be his teacher. And the strides that he has made just one year homeschooling, I never thought he would get to this point. It's been amazing. Homeschool is the best thing I've ever done. Now, were you a teacher anyway? I was not a teacher. I was support staff. But I did work with all 600 students in this elementary school. Oh, so wow. I was, you know, I'm used to all of them. And I really loved my job so much. There was a lot of special needs kids in his school. And I, it was just a regular public school. But they knew me because of Eric. And I had a good relationship with all of these kids. And it really broke my heart when COVID hit and we couldn't go back. But as much as I love those kids, I had to stay at home with my own. I was like, Eric's more important than this job. I'm going to stay at home with him, give him the best possible future that I can. How much were the special ed students in that school integrated with the other kids? Completely. And that was one of the problems that I had. Look, I'm all for special needs students being in typical classes. Mm -hmm. But the problem was... These teachers are not equipped to handle kids like Eric, who need constant one-on-one -on -one attention to understand anything. And they used to have a class that was specifically for kids like Eric, kids who maybe were on the spectrum, were not completely handicapped, had the potential of learning but needed extra help. For some reason, the county went through and said, we're going to cut these funds and cut that class. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're going to cut the class from the special needs children. Really nice. So the guy who ran the class was my son's special needs advocate for the school. He was trying to get me to go and kind of get them to put that class back. And I was like, I don't have that ability to put that class back. He wanted me to go with him and kind of say, we need this again. But these kids are just kind of getting lost. These kids that are special needs in these classes, which I believe they should be there, but they're just there. They're not getting extra help. They get out of their class like an hour a week to work with their special needs advocate. So basically, I was like, this is not going to happen. My son is not going to sit in class all day, stare at the wall and not learn when he could be here with me. So they were just being taught the same way that the mainstream kids were being taught. Exactly. They weren't getting much of extra help at all because you have one teacher in a class of at least 20. She doesn't have the time or the resources to stay with one child this whole time. She has to deal with all of the kids. It's not her responsibility. And I fully agree that if you want your child in a public setting, that's fine. But for my child, it was not OK. And I felt like he needed more than that. I mean, it's one thing to have the special ed students partially integrated they know the mainstream mm -hmm. kids that's the way i grew up right right i wasn't in special ed i was in the mainstream but i knew all the special ed kids and some of them were eventually integrated but they had their own class when i was in school they were not really put in our classes and I can understand why parents want them in normal class, regular, typical class. But you have to think about their own needs. A child that needs constant one-on-one -on -one attention cannot just sit in a classroom with a teacher and 19 other students and expect them to learn. So there's got to be something. There needs to be, like there used to be at this school, another class for kids that need that extra help 24-7. But that's my own opinion. Every special needs parent has a different opinion on it, and that's just mine. And I felt like I really 
went through all of my resources with Eric. I called meeting after meeting. They could not meet my, what I consider proper education for my special needs child. So I removed him from the school. They decided, oh, unless you need constant one-on-one care, like if you're in a wheelchair and you cannot speak at all, unless you have an aid, you belong in normal class. And I'm like, no, some of these kids need more than that. So they decided to cut that mid-grade special needs class. I was very close to the people that ran the special needs area of Eric's school, and they were so mad about it. Why would you cut that out of everything you could cut in funding? Doesn't make any sense. It's already hard enough being a special needs parent. And then when you have one on the line like Eric, who could go either way, we're just lost. You're not even giving those kids in the special ed classes a chance to learn. No, you're not. By cutting That's what their... they need, that intervention. Yeah. So you can see how frustrating it really is when you have a child who is in that middle They can't do everything themselves. They're not that far ahead yet, but they're not so far behind that they need constant attention from an aide. So these special needs kids stuck in this middle area are just thrown wherever. My child's not going to do that. I'm going to be at home with them. I had that option. I was lucky enough that I could do it. And so I did. And too many parents don't have that option and their kids are just lost and they don't know what to do. I don't know much about homeschooling, but... How far do you believe you can take his education? Oh, all the way through graduating high school. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's different in every state. In my state of Tennessee, all you need is a high school diploma, and you can teach. A lot of parents, I've noticed, homeschool in Tennessee because they're anti-vax, and they don't believe in it. Right. So that's a big thing in Tennessee about the not having the vaccinations. I'm like, I'm not me. I'm just here because I'm a homeschool mom for a special needs student, you know. And it's really hard in Tennessee finding where you belong in the homeschool community. But the rules are very lax. I mean, all he needs is a high school diploma, and I can teach him through high school. That works in my favor. Teach them the things you learn. That makes sense. That's what I love too, because there's a big thing about, oh, all you need is a high school diploma to teach. I don't think that's enough. And I'm like, well, did public school teach us enough? If I learned everything (laughs) in public school, I should be able to teach my son, right? (laughs) Right. As long as you remember it, right? There are some things from high school I don't remember, but... He's going into third. So, I mean, it's still pretty easy stuff. Right. But I'm like, when you get into high school, mama might need a tutor. (laughs) 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 We start getting into algebra and stuff. (laughs) We'll make it work. Are you thinking of his future at this point, or...? Oh, yes. Everything I do is for Eric's future. And I felt like if he had stayed in public school, he had no future. My child's not going to sit in a classroom and look at a wall for eight hours a day. My child's going to be here with me learning and out in the world. He actually gets more socialization with me than he did at school. That's not fair either. It's not because I would see him, like I said, when I worked at the school, I would see him just sit there, just eat alone in the cafeteria. He had kids around him, but he couldn't socialize. It's that, that autism part. He didn't like it. And now being at home with me, if I take him to the playground, he's speaking to other children. Oh, wow. He's playing with children. It's like I said, everything that he's done just in a year, I can imagine what it's going to be like in the next three or four years. 
you know, learning everything he's learned, I'm really able to get into his brain, but I have the time to sit there and go over something for two hours if I need to. Public school doesn't have that option. So if you're behind, you stay lost. They move on. I can stay on something, one subject for a year if I need to. This has come up a lot on the show, actually. I feel like the lack of socialization that you talked about, I feel like that's common in people with disabilities or kids with disabilities across the board. Although I've said this many times, I can't explain why, but I never had that problem. You know? <laughs> but you know, I, I said that to somebody and they're like, well, you shouldn't complain about it, you know, but it's weird that it feels like I'm in the minority there where I had no socialization problems or integration problems or anything like that. Yeah, I did. I did not like speaking to people that much as a child. I did not have autism, but I was a loner. I would rather be at home reading books, watching movies. Doing. I'm still like that now. So I'm like, it's so important as a parent that has a child that needs socialization to get out there. And it's easier than it sounds. He's actually a lot more outgoing than I am. <laughs> I was so quiet at his <laughs> Well, I think kids are naturally like that sometimes. You know? They are. Yeah. And it's a lot harder when you have speech issues because I've noticed with Eric, he plays better with younger children. Older children, they don't care. Children don't judge. Whether that child is eight or that child is two or even a teenager, they don't judge other people I've noticed by their abilities or disabilities until they get a little bit older. But mm. right now, the kids in his age, like the eight-year-old kids, they don't even notice that there's anything different about Eric. And eventually they will. And that was one of my concerns about public school. Well, that's another thing that comes up on this show often. Like, there are some disabilities that are, as has been said, invisible. And there are some that I've said, you know, you can see from across the street. <laughs> right. <laughs> and if you don't see a disability... It's not an automatic point of contention. Yes, I agree. And that's really what makes it tough for kids like my son, because you can't see it, but you can kind of hear it. And then you see an eight-year-old that might be acting out. Oh, they're a bad child. Yeah. You don't know. That child may have an issue that you can't see. And that's one thing that makes me so angry. I'm like, you don't understand what's going on in someone's life. You don't know what a child has. When I see a child screaming in a store, I'm like, you don't know what's happening. That child could be tired. That child could have autism. That child could be like, Eric, and have X, Y, Y. You just don't know. And people are too quick to judge. I feel like this goes along with what we just talked about. Is there anything that you have learned about the disabled community after your son was diagnosed? I've learned that the disabled community is the most accepting community I've ever met in my entire life. To meet another family that's dealing with what we are, I've never met such accepting people. They are a whole community of love. I can't even describe it. And these people are warriors. It's tough being a special needs parent the things that we go through and they are some of the strongest people on earth. And I really don't think there's enough resources for parents of special needs children. A lot of time the child, it's all about them and it has to be, that's your child. They need these extra therapies and things, but as a parent, we don't get enough help like therapy wise. I think there needs to be more mention of 
our mental health raising a special needs child because to take care of them, we have to take care of us first. And we're all warriors in this community. We're loving. I just, I couldn't ask for a more loving community to be in. I think even when kids with disabilities have that problem in the mainstream, if they find other parents who have kids with disabilities or just other kids with disabilities in general, I think they find that acceptance. They do. Like you can just tell a woman came up to me once and she was like, can I ask you a question? I was like, sure. She was like, is your child autistic? And I was like, yeah. She's like, my brother is too. And it was, (laughs) it was amazing. Like we had this instant connection, like a family that's not blood. We're just one big family. It's a lot like anything else that you find out that you have in common with someone, but in, in the case of a genetic disability, it's something that you've always had. So, exactly. and in the case of like people in wheelchairs and stuff like that, there are ways to obviously acquire those disabilities later in life. And I don't know, sometimes the ones that acquire the disabilities later misunderstand certain things. That's just my opinion. (laughs) You're right. You know, you live it. You understand. And I've been a special needs parent for so many years now that anyone I see has my love fully. Uh, That's just the kind of person I am. If I see someone, my mother-in-law is deaf. Uh, My son has an extra Y chromosome. I have many family members with a mental illness. And I think I'm the one that really has to be their rock. I take care of everyone. I'm a caretaker. So anyone I see, I'm an automatic caretaker too. And I think I wish more people had that in them to be more understanding and loving to everyone. That's all people want. I stopped it there because I really feel like that last statement sums up who Nikki is. I never know what I'm getting when I first meet someone for the show, but Nikki and I became friends really fast. I want to thank her for being the inspiration for this week's show and thank everyone else for listening. Links to our Twitter, Facebook, and Discord will be in the description. And until next week, this is Nate Lurie saying, you don't always have to do a lot to inspire others.